who has what you'd almost think of random pearls of wisdom, little principles that are really helpful and have great applications in our life. And so um, when, you're, when you're living your life, you encounter all sorts of different situations, kind of random situations, one, one after another. And these proverbs are kind of like that. You know, they, there's some theme to some of them, but a lot of them, from one verse to the next, you're dealing with a different situation in life. And this just gives you God's wisdom for how to deal with those situations. So it's just some really helpful principles, helpful thoughts in these, and we'll try to uh, think about them as uh, much as we can. Uh, Proverbs 18, would somebody read the first 11 verses? A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked, or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down to the inmost body. He who is slothful in his work, he is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own city. Really great principles here. Look at verse 1. Who is this talking about in verse 1? What kind of a person? It's a selfish one. A selfish person who does what? Seeks his own desires. He seeks his own desires, so what's his relationship like with other people? Yeah, he kind of isolates himself and sets himself apart because he's focused on his own selfish will, his own selfish desires. He's always thinking about his own wishes and his own goals, and he's really not interested much in other people, even in having all that closer relationship with other people because he's pursuing himself. That's a very foolish thing. Why is that going to be bad for him? You know, isolation. You know, when he's by himself, you know, there's no one to encourage him and there's no one to uh, accountability. Exactly. We gain a lot by our relationships with other people they can encourage, they can correct, they can sharpen. Uh, you know, when we're kind of isolated because we're just focused on ourselves, we really miss out on a lot. Obviously, also, we don't help anybody when all we're doing is kind of focused on ourselves. There are people like that. They're kind of loners, and loners because they are only trying to seek themselves. He says that this man quarrels against all sound wisdom. He's not listening to other people's wisdom 
He just wants to follow his own ideas and his own agenda. You know, maybe he would say, well, this is much wiser. You know, maybe he would say that, you know, following his own ideas, he's not, he doesn't want to be corrupted by what anybody else thinks. He wants to be his own man. He doesn't want to be too influenced by other people. You hear people saying things like that. But what do you think about that? What about the guy who says, I don't want other people to influence me? You know, I want to be my own person. What would you say about that? It's not really possible. Probably not. He's going to be more influenced than he thinks, that's for sure. What else would you say about that? Kind of arrogant. Why? It is. What's he saying by that? I know best. Absolutely. I know more than everybody else put together, so I don't want these lowlifes around me influencing me. I, on my own, am going to know everything. Nobody else is going to be able to contribute anything to my learning. It's certainly not that we ought to listen to the wrong kind of people. It's certainly not that we ought to just, uh, you know, just follow the crowd or something like that. But the Bible talks a lot about the benefit and the value of sharpening one another, building one another up, teaching and exhorting and admonishing one another. God put Christians together in a family because he knew we needed each other. So the guy who says, you know, I'm going to work all this stuff out on my own. I don't want anybody's help. I'm going to study this for myself, and I don't want to listen to what you've got to say. Well, he's just cutting himself off from perhaps people God is sending to him to help him. Some people say, I just want to trust in God. I'm just going to, I'm just going to listen to the Lord. I don't want anybody to help me. Well, if you're listening to God, is it possible that he's the one who sent the person there to help you? You know, we may be cutting ourselves off from God's means of blessing us. Often when we say, I don't want anybody's advice, I don't want to listen to anybody else, you know, half the time we go deep down the wall and we don't want somebody else showing us that we're wrong. You know, that's often. Because if you knew you were right, would you be so afraid of listening to somebody else? If you knew you were right, you could just see through what they were saying and you'd feel okay. But it's when you feel guilty, but you don't want to deal with it, that you don't want somebody else touching that sensitive point. Comments and thoughts on that verse. That's a really cool verse. Okay, verse 2. Wow. What does the fool not want? <coughs> What does he want? His own mind, which is opposite. <laughs> yeah, yes, his own mind and understanding don't have a whole lot in common. Uh, and he, and he, he delights in revealing his own mind. He's highly opinionated, and he wants to share his opinions at every possible moment. Um, he doesn't want to listen to other people. He doesn't engage in conversation. He's a monologue guy. You know, he wants to tell you what he knows and what he thinks, uh, but he doesn't think anybody else's wisdom is important. So he's, a guy like that is going to have a hard time learning very much, don't you think? All he's doing is talking. 
He's never listening? How much do you learn by talking? Nothing. Well, not really a whole lot, because when you're talking, what are you saying? Things you already know. Yeah, exactly. You're saying the things you already know and understand. So as far as the learning thing goes, you don't get a whole lot out of that. You know, it's when you're listening that you're more likely to learn. But this guy only wants to show what he knows. He only wants to reveal his own, own opinions. And, and, and maybe he's almost trying to show that off. You know, maybe the idea in revealing his own mind, he's wanting to, sh to show everybody else how wise and intelligent he is. Usually he manages only to do the opposite. You know, because this guy who won't listen to anybody, who's always telling you what he thinks, most of the time you realize, this guy is shallow. <laughs> you know, he's the guy who's always interrupting serious Bible study, asking where did Cain get his wife, or, you know, how did that Noah get all the animals on the ark, or, you know, whatever. And he's probably got a few pet things like that. He's always bringing up, makes himself look smart. You know, he's got a few little conundrums, and, no, uh, that's not a very good word, a few little riddles that, that he's always throwing out to make himself look intelligent. Uh, but but uh, the kind of guy who never listens, never learns much, uh, and so that's the fool. He's got a closed mind and an open mouth. Comments and thoughts? Those two verses kind of fit together, don't you think? Kind of get that picture of the fool. Well, look at verse 3. This wicked man, how is he going to be seen by others? <laughs> Yes. He doesn't respect other people, and other people will not respect him. You know, this is kind of an unpleasant chain reaction. You know, he looks at others, he looks down on others, everybody else is going to see how shallow he is, and they're going to look down on him. There's no real future in this foolish man who only wants to talk, never wants to listen, who only wants to think what he wants, never wants to learn from wise other people. And then verse 4, look at the contrast. I believe verse 4 is dealing with a wise man. And what do you know about the words of the wise man? True and righteous. They're true and righteous. What does he say about them in verse 4? They're deep. You know, a wise man doesn't just look at things on the surface. A wise man thinks more deeply. They're more profound. And what do his words end up doing? Yes. They provide refreshment and life for others. He says they're like a fountain, a bubbling brook. They're like a stream coming out of the mountain that provides constant uh, refreshment. Um, you know, this, this source of wisdom, a man who's really wise, he's deep and he constantly is able to have a, an outflow of words that provide strength and help for other people. That's the kind of words we want. That's the kind of person we want to be. Not this fool who only shows everybody what he doesn't know because he talks all the time, but the wise, deep man who what he says is a strength and a help for others. 
So you see really quite a contrast in those two kinds of people. Wonder which one we are. Comments and thoughts on those first four verses. Let's not be as Amen. And there's no way we're not going to be those people unless we really listen to God's wisdom. And unless we really allow ourselves to be sharpened by wise people. If you surround yourself with people who are better than you are, who will really show you how it's done. You know, if you want to grow in your wisdom, you want to be interacting with stronger Christians than what you are, who aren't afraid to tell you when you're wrong and help you get better. You know, sometimes, sometimes you, you see some Christians who they will go to other Christians for advice. You know, they've got this uh, situation, you know, they've got Oh, who knows? They've got a girl they're interested in. And uh, she's not very spiritual, and she's not very good, but they really like her. And so they want some advice on what they ought to do about that. Most of the time, who will they go to? The yes people. The what? The yes people. The yes people, yes. The ones who they're pretty sure are going to tell them, hey, go for it. Do what you want to. They're not likely to go to the strongest Christians they know who are probably going to tell them this isn't a very smart idea. Do we generally go for advice to people we think as really strong and spiritual or people who we think are probably going to tell us what we want to hear? That also tells you a lot about our wisdom. All right, other thoughts on those four verses. Look at verse 5. He's saying we ought to be just. Not be partial. Sometimes people almost um, go against the righteous and favor the wicked. We ought to be just, always analyzing things on the principles of righteousness. And there's a lot of injustice in the world, but we ought to always be the people who we decide things based upon what's right. Look at 6 and 7. I want you to look at something in 6 and 7. Do you see a kind of an interesting, um, um, I don't know, uh, figure with the words he uses for the, uh, the anatomy of the person? What anatomical words does he use in verse 6? Lips. Lips and, Mouth. and then in 7? Mouth. Mouth and... Yeah, so you see lips, mouth, mouth, lips. All of these are talking about the fool. What the fool says leads to what? Fight. Yeah, <laughs> he's the kind of guy whose mouth always gets him in a fight. You know people like that? What, what's the difference? Well, how does that work? Yeah, but what, how, does it, how does it happen that certain people say things and it always leads to a fight? What kind of things do they say? 
Yeah, put down other people. Aggressive. Aggressive. Also, a lot of times, showing off. showing off, boastful, braggart, you know, that sort of thing. You know people like that. Even if you're a peace-loving person, there are certain people that raise your blood pressure just by how they talk. Uh, that's the fool. You know, his mouth calls for blows. It's like every time he speaks, it just makes you want to punch him. <laughs> so what ends up happening to him in verse 7? He gets beat up. You know, in starting the quarrel, he was trying to injure other people, but it boomerangs against him, and he's the one who ends up beat up. You know, it's not going to work to always be creating a fight with people. Sooner or later, you're going to create a fight with somebody tougher than what you are, and uh, you're going to be their punching bag. So that's a fool. The fool is the guy who always likes to stir things up, always likes to create controversy and conflict, and he'll end up being the guy who's hurt. And then he'll come crying to mommy, they picked on me, or whatever. Comments and thoughts through verse 7. Well, here's another person who uses his words badly in verse 8. <laughs> Who's he talking about in verse 8? Gossipers. Yeah, the gossiper. The guy who's always saying things bad about other people. He's always telling you their secrets. He's telling you the bad stuff on them. How do people view the words of, of a person like that. What are those words like, according to this passage? Dainty morsels. People kind of like them. They sort of develop a taste for them. They like to hear all the bad stuff about people. You ever, what, those, those magazines they sell in the checkout aisle of the grocery stores, those tabloid magazines, what do they usually tell about? Yeah, and what kind of stuff about the celebrities? The, all the bad stuff, all the, all the stuff they're doing that nobody knew about. Why do people like to read that stuff so much? It seems like they're just kind of a craving. People develop a taste for that. It's like, you know, have you noticed uh, some of us have developed a taste for desserts and chocolates and things like that? And it seems like, you know, we've always got that craving. And even though they're bad for you, we always want to eat more. Well, that's how people are with gossip. They seem to develop this appetite. They always want to hear the bad stuff. Especially, it's tasty to hear bad stuff about a good person. You know, you take a strong Christian at church, and somebody tells you what they did. You know, what they said that was really bad. That'll always get an audience. You know why? Because we like to know that they're bad too. It makes us feel good. So we're almost ready to invent something bad about them. <laughs> you know, and we're sure ready to believe it if somebody shares it with us. And so he says these words of the whisperer are like dainty morsels and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. <clears throat> you know, it's like those gossip words just stick with you go down deep inside and you never get rid of them. 
after you've heard them, your relationship and attitude toward the person you've heard them about is never quite the same. You always look at them a little bit more with suspicion. You know, I mean, there are Christians, say, that I've heard some bad things about. I don't really know if it's true. Maybe there are people I don't know real well, preachers and things like that. But I've heard, don't even remember from who, but I've heard that they've done some stuff with other women that they shouldn't and things like that. And every time I see them or hear about them, I'd always put the question mark in. You reckon it's really true what they said about that person? Isn't that sad? You know, that's, it's like you can't ever get it away from them. It's what the politicians do. The politicians are always trying to dredge up bad stuff about their opponents. And it's kind of like, they call that mud slinging. And it's like, you know, if you throw mud up against a wall, even if it doesn't stick, it leaves a mark. It leaves a dirty spot. And so if they can get you to start thinking, maybe this guy is this, 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 even if it's not true at all and it's proven not to be true, that suspicion still lingers in the heart of the person who heard it. So gossip is horrible. When somebody starts telling you this bad tale about some brother or sister, what should you do? Say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. You know, please don't tell me that. Maybe we ought to say, I just recently, uh, there was a, a person who, uh, who told me this. See what you'd say about this. This person um, came to me and said, you know, I don't know who this was, but they said a younger person was talking to me and they were really hurt by what this other person said to them. And they came to me and I tried to comfort them and encourage them. What would you say to this man who hears from this person they were really hurt by what the other person said? What should he do? Talk to the other person. Better yet? Let's get over it. Yes, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm saying the man who's giving the advice, the man who's come to, the person came to him saying, this person hurt me. This man ought to tell that person, you go talk to that person. You go work it out with that person. That's what I suggested to the man. I said, well, the thing you ought to say back is, Go and talk to the man. Go and straighten it out. And insist on it. That's the right thing to do. If somebody comes to you and somebody hurts their feelings, instead of you giving them an audience and you saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry they were so mean to you or whatever, you say, go talk to them. If they won't do it, say, let's go together and talk to them. Let's straighten this out. In this case, the person that it was said about is a really good man, very spiritually minded and very strong. I don't know, I don't even know what was said, I don't know anything about it, but the right thing to do is you resolve it. You just go around talking to other people and, oh, I got my feelings hurt, so-and-so was really mean to me. That's not going to solve the problem. Go talk to him. So don't give the gospel an audience. If he's got something bad to say about somebody, say either don't listen or, or say, okay, let's go talk to them. Let's go solve this. 
and we won't even talk about it anymore. Comments and thoughts about all that? Yes? What would you do if like, somebody came up to you and you know the person they were talking about wouldn't listen at all? And they were just needing to express themselves? What would you, what would you say? It depends. Uh, on the situation a little bit. There are different reasons that people talk. Not every conversation is gossip. So um, they might, there might be a time when somebody would come up to me and say, I need some advice. How should I handle this? When their purpose is not to down the other person, maybe even sometimes they don't tell me who the other person was. They just say, hey, this situation occurred. How should I handle that? That's different than somebody who's coming and trying to just spread dirt about someone. And so I think it depends on, on that situation. On the other hand, we know that other person wouldn't listen. How do we know? Maybe that other person ought to listen. Maybe if they've tried to work it out with them and it didn't work out, maybe that's the time to say, okay, I'll go with you and we'll try to work it out. Remember that story in Philippians 4 where there was these two women who evidently had had a falling out and Paul tells them to get along but he tells another brother to get involved and help the two of them work it out. Sometimes when there's a problem between two people somebody else may have to step in and help them to resolve it. So that also might be the situation. Other questions or comments? So how would you define each side of the spectrum there because that's not much sure what the law is trying to say. <coughs> uh, is this gossip or is it not? Like, is it intention? Is it what you're actually saying? Is it the amount? Probably some of both. The intention makes a difference. Um, the purpose makes a difference. Um, a gossiper typically <coughs> likes telling bad stuff about people. And they typically will tell it to a lot of people. And they typically are not interested in trying to help the other person correct the problem. They're not trying to work with the other person. They, they're just trying to share this bad story. They like to be in the know. They like to show that they know something about somebody that nobody else does. You know, um, they're more interested in talking about people than they are about talking, talking about the Lord or in helping. You know, as opposed to somebody, say, who is really trying to be involved, they're trying to help, and they need advice, or they need some orientation. You know, if the person is really looking for help and advice, you know, I, I remember, I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it in this. Uh, when I, I just started preaching, and, and there was a problem between me and another brother, and I went to an older couple of the congregation that I respected a lot, and I explained to them the situation, I said, I expected them to come. I expected them to, meet, to tell me, it's okay, it'll be fine, this person really is kind of mean, you know, don't worry about it, or whatever. But what this other couple told me is they said, you need to go now and talk to this other brother and work it out. That's not what I expected them to say, but they didn't let me off the hook. They said, okay, that is a problem, you go and you, you go to their house, and you, you discuss it, and you work it out. And they prayed with me, and they sent me to that brother's house. I was scared to death. I did not want to talk to him about the problem. 
but they did the right thing. They helped me do the right thing. And I did go, and it was wonderful. We worked it out. It was not a problem after that at all. It was what I needed to do. Thankfully, they helped me do the right thing. And I wanted to do the right thing. I just didn't want that to be the right thing. But because they insisted, I respected them. I could see they were telling me what I ought to do. So if somebody comes to us and they've got this terrible thing that somebody did to them or said to them, just say, okay, you've got to go and work now. You've got to go talk. You know, thank you for coming to me for advice. Let's pray about it. Now you go. And, and encourage them to do the right thing. Bob? Yeah, I think one of the things that we need to do as brothers and sisters in Christ is when someone comes to us, we, we have to be wise and gentle, but still look for someone seeking reconciliation. If you don't see that, that look for reconciliation, then it might be gossip. gossip. Right. So there's a scale in which we can, we can weigh uh, input to us. Thank you. That's helpful. Yes, exactly. Other thoughts? Alright, look at verse 9. I like this one. He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Do you see what he's saying? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. The guy who's lazy and doesn't get the job done, it's just like he's a destroyer. He messes things up too. You know, um, think about this. You know, maybe, I know this is kind of out of date, but maybe uh, think back to when they used to have in the U.S. assembly lines to, uh, to make cars. They still have that a little bit, but not as much as they used to. And let's say there's a lazy person on the assembly line, and he's supposed to tighten a certain bolt, and he doesn't tighten it. What happens? The car falls apart. His laziness led to destruction. There's not a lot of difference between somebody who doesn't do the job and somebody who destroys the job. A lot of times, they're all in the same family. It's a good thing to think about if you tend to be a lazy person who doesn't follow through and get the job done when you ought to. And then, I love verses 10 and 11. What does the, what, what, who's the righteous person's security? <coughs> God. And the wicked person? Or in verse 11? His wealth. For the righteous person, he turns to God. And God's his defense. And God's who he turns to for protection. But the wicked person thinks his money will spare him. His money will give him security. The power of money is usually overestimated. <laughs> you know, it only goes so far. You know, and then the stock market collapses. Or then the house burns down. Or then you die. Or you get sick and you don't have the money, you know, you use all your money to get well. Or whatever. There's all kinds of stuff that happens. So for the rich man, his wealth is a high wall in his own imagination. He thinks his money is going to protect him. It's really not. But you can trust the Lord. If the Lord is your strength, you really do have protection. All right, I'll answer questions through those first 11 verses. Okay, would somebody read 12 to 21? 
before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can, who, who can bear it? The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes, him, makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. The cast uh, lot puts an end to strife and decides between the mighty ones. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Death are, and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay. Um, so, verse 12, the proud people end up being destroyed. Do you know why that is? It's probably more than one reason. But what's a reason why pride leads to destruction? Doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. Doesn't ever think he's doing anything wrong. If he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong, what does he not do? He doesn't fix it. Doesn't change. Doesn't listen to anybody trying to help him change. And so he's on the road to destruction. Pride never leads to any good conclusion. On the other hand, you know, humility leads to honor. The humble person listens, he corrects his course, and he in the end will be honored. Those are good principles several times repeated in Proverbs. Look at verse 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Why would you give an answer before you heard? Exactly. A fool thinks he's got the answer before he ever heard the question. We could also use satisfaction. The, the guy we're talking about um, in verse two. Verse two is it two? No, I was thinking more of the, the, the talebearer, verse eight. Ah, oh, yeah. The guy who who spreads all the stories before uh, anyone else. Yes. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, you don't have to tell him the situation. He's got the answer. In fact, he may not want to have to listen. He just wants to tell you things. Uh, he thinks he knows it all. He doesn't have much patience. He, you're going to start telling him something. Maybe this happened to you. Have you ever started telling somebody about a problem you had, and you got about halfway through and they interrupted you to give you their answer? How did it make you feel? If they didn't want to listen to me. Exactly. They didn't really care about you. They didn't really want to listen to you. They got bored with what you were saying. And they think they know everything about you before you even told them. That's kind of annoying if it's ever happened to you. And it's not wise. Think about Job's friends. They had the answers before they ever knew the questions. You know, they knew all, they knew all the things telling. They knew what he ought to do. I mean, they figured out all the sins he committed and all this kind of stuff. You know, sometimes we've got too much confidence in our own opinion. 
A hasty answer is not a sign of intelligence. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have a guy, you start talking to him about a question, and they've got an answer halfway through your question, or a guy who, who you ask the question, they say, I need to think about this a little bit. You know, I need to study over this, so, and I'll get back with you. You'd appreciate that more. You realize they're taking you seriously. They're not trying to just blurt out something. So the guy who answers before he hears the question is a fool. Comments and thoughts about that? Bob? I think the fool uh, will find after life. You live a lot of years, you find out that really, they don't care what the question is. Really, when it comes down to this one, be offering their own wisdom. They don't care really what you want to know. You're exactly right. It, do we like to listen, or do we only like to speak? You know, I think there's a lot of people, maybe us, who we just really don't enjoy listening. You know, how do you feel when there's somebody who really wants to listen to you? How does that make you feel? Like you're a real person. Yeah. It really encourages you. You feel respected. Do you like talking to those people who really want to listen? Yeah. Maybe even they don't have a lot of advice. Have you ever done this? Have you ever like been talking to somebody and they tell you about a question, a problem, a situation they don't know the answer to and they're, they're troubled by it? And they maybe it takes a while for them to tell you all that. You don't hardly say anything back. Maybe you don't even know what to say back. And by the end of the conversation, they're thanking you so much for all that you helped them. And what really happened is they solved their own problem by talking about it with you. And you didn't really have to give them anything. And they thought you helped them a lot. It helps people a lot to listen. You know, and, and we don't get there very often. You know, it's like, you ever done this? What would happen if, say, you came into church one day and, and they would say, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Terrible, terrible, terrible. Well, that's great. Glad to hear it, you know. <laughs> what, what if that would happen a few times? You ever get the feeling that, you know, you don't really want to know? <laughs> you just wanted to ask to be polite? Uh, I don't think we ought to be overly self-centered in what we say. But we ought to be very focused on other people and what we hear. You know, we need to want to listen. I understand there may be even a time to tell somebody your feelings are for yourself. You need to get your mind off yourself. But we won't know that time until we've really heard them and listened and understood. And sometimes it's a great comfort and strength to listen. It takes patience and unselfishness. Thoughts? Look at 14. Um, this is so true. There is something worse than physical sickness, and that's being depressed. You know, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? You know, if you're physically sick, okay, you'll get over it. But if you're really discouraged, if your spirit is wounded and crushed, there's no medicine for that. You know, how you feel is much more important than your physical health. And if you ever notice that you feel worse physically when you're more down emotionally, 
If you're not down, even your physical sicknesses don't get you down as much. That would be my observation about that. Comments and thoughts on that? What about 15? What does a wise man do? Gets knowledge. Looks for knowledge. But the wise man already has knowledge. Not all of us. So what about the wise man? He's continuing to Yeah, he just learns more and more and more. He gets wiser and wiser and wiser. This is the case where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Because the wise man has enough wisdom to keep learning. The fool thinks he knows it all and doesn't learn anymore. And so the gap keeps widening. A truly wise man is always wanting to learn. He's always seeking more knowledge. The wise realize how little they know. A fool thinks he knows it all. Isn't that true? So which are you? Do you think you know a lot or you think you don't know much? It's probably true that if you don't think you know very much, you're wiser than the guy who thinks he knows it all. So the wise just keep growing. Thoughts? In 16, this is a, an observational proverb. We've got a few of these, a descriptive proverb. This is not telling us what to do. It's just telling us a fact of life. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. What would, what, what's our word? What's our phrase for that? What's that say? We have a two-word phrase for that. Do you know what it is? Or what's he saying in more than two words? Money talks. Money talks, that's the phrase. Money talks. If you got money, you'll get places. It's not saying it ought to happen that way, but the guy who, who gives a bribe, he'll advance. A guy who gives gifts, it'll open doors for him. Uh, that's just the way human nature is. You know, if you got the money, you'll get the advancement. You'll get the votes. You know, whatever. Money makes a difference in society. Is that the right thing? No. Does that happen? Yeah. Sometimes you wonder, how did that person get that job? There may be more involved than just his competence. Thoughts and comments about that descriptive proverb? Uh, maybe we could also flip the meaning around, um, especially for those of us in America with, you know, maybe a little bit more than the rest of the world, we could also say, um, you know, for those of us as Christians, it's, it's our duty to give, we're told to take what we have and give it back to you for his use, so, you know, I think those of us who are blessed with good positions, those of us who are blessed with financial value or something, we can, we can make those gifts to those who need it. Um, we can give those to the church, we can give those to the members. And we can say that, you know, it'll, it'll bring us before great men in that sense. It certainly brings us before God when we give to Him and when we give to those around us. So, good point. Good point. Amen. All right. I like 17. So true. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Isn't that true? 
The first guy who tells you his side, what do you think? Don't you always think he's right? Almost always? Matt, if after he tells you his side and you haven't heard the other one, you don't think he's right, he must really be outclassed. <laughs> you know, almost anybody can sound pretty good when that's all you've heard. So what happens if you make a judgment after only hearing one side? You're a fool. That's exactly right. How do you know? You don't know what the other side would say. Once you hear their side and maybe get the two of them together to argue it out, it may be totally the opposite of what you will. I've been taken by that. I remember different times when I heard one side, oh yeah, this is right, this is wrong, that hurt. And then later I heard the other side, it's like, oh wow. It was almost totally the opposite of what I, what I first believed. So we've got to be careful not to form a judgment until we've heard both sides. Thoughts? Bob? <clears throat> A lot of young people in here, probably a lot of you don't know Paul Harvey, but he built a career on hearing the rest of the story. And uh, it's this principle right here. You know, you, when you heard the first part of the situation, you, you had an opinion that tells the rest of the story and you, your jaw drops, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Once you see the whole picture, it sometimes totally alters what you see. His rest of the story stories were good. Can you think of an illustration of the Bible? of somebody who listened to one side of the story and made a bad judgment. I'm thinking of a particular situation. I don't know if anybody will think of this. Not one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. It's in the second. Uh, David and Ziba. Yes, good. David and Ziba. Do you remember the story? Uh, it was after Absalom took over. And Ziba comes with a bunch of supplies. And it's like... Where's my focus chef? And he said he left. He didn't want to come. And then afterwards, and so he says, well, you can have all the stuff. And then afterwards, he finds out that Ziba just grabbed everything and left. So the chef says, was like. Yeah, exactly. This was a cool story. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son who was crippled. And David had really been nice to him. And then when Absalom, David's son, uh, Basically, David had to flee from him because he was taking over, taking over the kingdom, wanted to kill David. Mephibosheth had a servant that was appointed to take care of him because he was crippled, Ziba. And Ziba comes out to meet David with all these supplies and so forth. And David's like, where's Mephibosheth? Oh, he stayed behind. He thinks he can become king. Like he double-crossed David. After all David had done for him, and Mephibosheth didn't come to help him. He tried to take advantage of David fleeing to, to become king since he was Saul's grandson. And so David's really angry with Mephibosheth and tells Ziba, you can have all his stuff. And then later Absalom is defeated and killed. David comes back to reassume the kingship. And Mephibosheth comes to be all And David's like, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come to meet me? He said, Ziba was saddling the animal and was going to take me. And then suddenly he disappeared. 
<laughs> and Mephibosheth being crippled, he couldn't come. And Ziba lied about Mephibosheth. Ziba used this as a means to try to get in with David and get Mephibosheth's stuff. David listened to one side of the story and he formed a judgment without knowing what was really going on. The truth is, Ziba was lying about Mephibosheth. David didn't handle that one well either. Do you remember what David said? When, when Mephibosheth told him his side of the story, what did he say, Jacob? Yeah, split the, split everything half and half. Is 50-50 always fair? Not necessarily in this case. By lying about Mephibosheth, Ziba stole half of his estate. You know, when it's all said and done, I think David didn't want to deal with the fact that he had made a hasty judgment by hearing only one side of the story. But that'll happen. I don't care how smart you are. You really don't know the truth until you hear both sides of the story. Maybe sometimes you can hear one side of the story and you can already see the problems on that side. <laughs> but you really, until the other guy's got a chance to express himself, you don't know what he might say and how the situation might be different. It's a wise man who's patient enough to investigate and to listen to both sides before he forms a judgment and acts. Because most of the time, people can make their side sound pretty good if that's all it is. Comments and questions? Yes? I thought about the same situation with Joseph when he was in Egypt. Yes, like when Potiphar's wife claimed that he was uh, trying to come on to her, and evidently the Potiphar believed her, but he didn't listen to Joseph's side. That's a good illustration, too. Sounded like she was right. She had his cloak in her hand to prove it. But the truth was just the opposite of what she was insinuating. I mean, that's kind of, that kind of goes back to the gossip thing. You know, if you listen to and believe gossip, wonder what would happen if the person had the chance to explain their side of the story. You might not believe it at all. And maybe there's even a little circumstantial evidence that's been manipulated to make it look one way. Um, I remember, let's see if I can do this in a way that's okay. I remember uh, a long time ago there was a preacher that I really respected and at a certain time um, on a Sunday uh, he came to church to preach and his wife and kids were there. And that was like, well where are they? What's happened? And he broke the news that his wife had mental problems and that occasionally she'd go off and she'd just take the kids and go away and everybody felt sorry for him, didn't know he was struggling with that, you know, offered for him not to preach that day, but no, he, he, was, he prepared and he was going to preach even though he was really troubled by the fact that she'd gone off again and so forth and, and everybody was really feeling bad for him, really felt, you know, sympathy and all that. Well, over a period of time, the truth came out. And the truth was just the opposite. It turned out he was a tyrant. He, would, he was physically abusive. He had an inappropriate relationship with another woman. It was, it was totally the opposite. She was the one totally in the right, and he was totally in the wrong. 
But but I I heard that first story, and I was not very old at the time. I believed it. I was like, oh, poor guy. And it's like so weird that when the whole truth came out, it was almost 100% in the opposite direction. But it made me think, you know, just hearing one side of the story, you never know. It sounded really believable. And he was a pretty good talker. He made things sound pretty good. Some people are good at being convincing. Until you know the facts, you don't know the facts. Well, look at verse 18. What about when we don't really know the decision? Well, he says the cast lot puts an end to strife and decides between the mighty ones. The idea is the, the lot gives the Lord the chance to decide. So in the dispute, when there's no way to decide between them, the cast lot gives the Lord that chance. Look at 1633. The lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. So he's saying that God renders the verdict in the case of casting the lot, and that decides when there's no way to decide otherwise. I think, that's, I think connecting 18 with 1633 explains that proverb. In verse 19, this is so true. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. You take somebody who's hurt and offended, it's harder to win them back than to conquer a strong city. It's so serious. I, you know, there are some times when there's really close friendships, really close, and then one person says or does something that's not right, and the relationship never gets restored. It's just so hard to win back somebody who's hurt. And the closer the relationship, the deeper the hurt, because there's a greater sense of betrayal. Be careful. You think, well, we're such good friends, I can say or do anything. When you're such good friends, there's more responsibility to protect the relationship. Don't ever presume that nothing could ever get between us. Um, this has been a long, long time ago. There were two families in a church, sat on the same pew, super close, did everything together, and then there was a problem between them. It's been well over 30 years ago. They still don't speak to each other. Went to different churches, just a terrible problem between them, never resolved. You know, and, and I, everybody, I wasn't there when they were close. But everybody said they were just inseparable. You would not think one problem could do that. But sometimes it does. It is really hard to win back a brother who's offended. So think before you speak. Think before you act. Recognize the preciousness of a close relationship and be responsible in that. I think that's the lesson from this. Thoughts and comments about that one? It's practical. 20 and 21 talks about what? With the mouth. It's the mouth again. In this case, what do we learn about the mouth? 
they can be good and be a real blessing. Isn't that true? That they, the fruit of a man's mouth can satisfy, it can give life, it can bear fruit, or it can kill. That's the thing about words. That song we sang last night from Stephen Rouse, that new one about the, the power of words. You know, the first line talks about the good words can do. The second line talks about the, the damage words can do. God gave us a very powerful instrument. It's kind of like fire. Is fire good or bad? Yeah. It's kind of like water. Is water good or bad? It's neutral. Yeah. Both fire and water have tremendous ability to bless or to hurt. So are our words. Our words can bless so much or they can damage so deeply. Death and life are in our words. We must take seriously the responsibility that God gave us when he gave us a tongue. That's, that's, a, that's a, such a, a huge um, instrument. It's like, you know, it's like, what if, you know, it's, it's like having the absolute power over fire. Wow. So, so you could do so much good or so much damage. That'd give you a huge responsibility. You were the guy who's in charge of the fire. Well, you're the guy who's in charge of the tongue, your tongue. It can do so much good or evil. Thoughts and comments? James 3. Absolutely. How the tongue is such a small member, but it can do so much damage. <coughs> Good. Other thoughts? All right. Um, how about 22 to 24? <laughs> he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man utters supplications, but the rich man answers roughly. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So, what about finding a wife? How is that? It's pretty good. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. And if you find a good wife, God is blessing you. Don't take her for granted. Don't consider that lightly. Finding a good wife is a really <laughs> great blessing. Uh, you know, have you ever seen a man who has a really wonderful wife and he's always putting her down? And speaking badly of her, like treating her roughly. You know, it's like, you don't realize what you've got. We should never do that. Don't ever think, oh, I deserve better. She's not much or whatever. God's blessed you. God ends up blessing you with a good wife. Treasure, value. It's a blessing from God. Verse 23. <laughs> Isn't that true? Look at 23. What does the poor man have to do? Back. And the rich man, how does he treat others? Yeah, very badly. Because he's arrogant, usually. You know, he, he, he doesn't have to have anybody's help. So he can just treat anybody badly and they still need him because he's got the money. So it's very typical for a poor man to be more humble and beg for a rich man to be brash and arrogant. Someone has said that a novelist would have written a whole chapter to say that. You know, in one verse, 
you, you have so much insight into human nature. Now, the more power and wealth you've got, the greater the temptation to be arrogant and insulting. Comments and thoughts? It's a lot like the unforgiving servant. When he was deeply in debt, he would beg, but then when he was on the other end, then he you know, threw the book. Yes. We are often very humble toward our superiors and very arrogant toward those we see as under us. Not a good attitude. Other thoughts? Then. Maybe on 22, um, I think it's interesting. Usually you think about God's favor, God's blessing. This is something that just comes down upon us um, without us having to do much. But here it says he finds a, uh, a wife, finds a good thing. So it's almost like we have to search for God's blessings in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. A good wife comes by a serious search. You know, the first girl who comes along probably isn't necessarily the wife you want. <laughs> Just because she's female and available doesn't make her a good choice. Other thoughts? <laughs> Sorry. Poor dad. <laughs> That's a rough one. All right, 24. Where did this come from? A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Can you have too many friends? Really? If they aren't real friends. What's this say? What would you get out of this? Popularity is shallow. Really, when it comes down to it, it's not going to your so-called friends when it's based on something shallow like popularity when you're in trouble, they aren't going to help you. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, there are people who have lots of friends. They don't, but, but their friends are just lots of people who like them or lots of people they can hang with, lots of people who know them, lots of casual acquaintances. Better than the guy who's friends with everybody is a guy who has one true, deep, lasting, serious friendship. You know, quality is more valuable than quantity when it comes to friendship. Can you see why? just the, the lots of friends, they're probably not going to stick with you when you really need help. The true friend will. Think about this one. Will these casual acquaintances give you good advice, um, show you your faults and try to help you? They may not even know them. One true friend and brother who really knows you well may help you a whole lot more than a bunch of friends. Because usually the guy who's friends with everybody but has no close relationship is not open with anyone. Nobody really knows him. He's just always friends with everybody. It's not saying we shouldn't be friends, but it's saying there's a lot of value in a deep, serious friendship. Other comments? Chuck? Do you have a Newton James? A man who has friends must himself be friendly. 
Yeah, there, there's, uh, this is a difficult verse to translate. Uh, in the American standards, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. So there's a debate about the proper translation here. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Perhaps there's a value in each one. Certainly the second part, this friend who sticks closer than a brother, is emphasizing this idea of one true friend being so valuable. However, you want to translate the first Kind of reminds me of Jonathan David. Just really appreciate their friendship, don't you? That's such a model of friendship. They, they truly were willing to serve each other, sacrifice themselves for each other, had a deep spiritual bond. It's such a blessing to have a really good friendship. I think there's a lot of people who go through life and they never have a real friendship. They have a lot of acquaintances, but no bond like David and Jonathan had a bond. And having that kind of a bond with someone, if God grants us that, it's a blessing. Other thoughts? All right, chapter 19, somebody want to read 